The Laughter Permitted Podcast is brought to you by Ally. Do it right. Hello! Welcome to Laughter Permitted. I'm Julie Foudy. I'm Lynn Ozawi. Our guest this episode might be the most aligned guest we've ever had on Laughter Permitted because she is all about finding the joy in life and sports. And we learned about her thanks to another joy finder, Dr. Colleen Hacker. Flash! (laughs) Colleen sent us actually a New York Times article about NC State's, North Carolina State's cross-country program. And it featured the head coach, Lori Hennis, who has built her cross-country and track programs around the premise that, wait for it, you can do sports and have fun and be successful. (laughs) Look at that. And Lori is the director of cross-country and track and field at her alma mater, North Carolina State, where she won a national title herself back in the 1990s. And under her guidance as head coach, North Carolina State has won back-to-back national championships in cross-country in 2021 and 2022. And she also was voted the NCAA Women's Cross-Country Coach of the Year both of those years. We spent time with Lori to soak in as much of her coaching philosophy as possible because we all need this wonderful perspective of how success and joy while in the grind can coexist. So get comfortable listening. It's Lori Hennis. Hey there, Dope Village. As y'all know, Ally has backed Laughter Permitted since day one of our podcast as our financial ally. And honestly, Lynn, I might just tattoo Ally on my forehead. And Ally is currently on a mission to change the game for women sports. And get this, along with being sponsors of the National Women's Soccer League, Atlantic Coast Conference, United States Golf Association, and the Las Vegas Aces, Ally has committed to an equal media investment in women's and men's sports. And you, my friends, can be part of the change by watching your favorite athletes crush it on TV, by going to women's sporting events in person, by, I don't know, maybe listening to every single episode of this amazing podcast on trailblazing women. Because every time you show up for women's sports, you are helping move the game forward. You can learn more about Ally by visiting ally.com. Hey there, Dope Village. Lynn and I have been involved in women's sports our entire lives. And truly, we've never been more excited for what's to come in this women's sports space. And one big reason, Ally. Ally has made a commitment to an equal media investment in women's and men's sports. And that means more money going to women's sports and more visibility for what these incredible athletes are accomplishing. Ally is on a mission to change the game for women's sports. So here at Laughter Permitted, we're going to keep telling the stories of trailblazing women. And every time you listen in, you are part of that change. To learn more about Ally, go to ally.com. Kick back, relax, and unwind. Let's have a good time finding the joy in life. So bright, talking and laughing combined. Feeling alright, get comfortable listening. It's laughter permitted. 
I already told Lori that we want about two hours with her based on... We're just going to need two days. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I've okay, been up right? so long right now. I'm good. I can, I can go. You're in the middle of season. You do not have long. I can't even imagine in the middle of season. Um, all right. Let's do this. So the first thing, Lori, we always do is we have the guests set the scene, where they're at, what they're doing, all those sort of fun things. So, Lori, set the scene, please. Set the scene. I have finished up with practice for the day. I am in the Murphy Center in our um, football facility here at NC State and um, just in the middle of our season here and excited to talk to you guys. One of the reasons, I don't know if Lynn already told you this, but one of the reasons we um, wanted to get you on the pod is a friend of ours who's been on the pod many times, Dr. Colleen Hacker, sent us this article in the New York Times on your program and the cross-country success you've had. And Lynn and I were like, oh my gosh, <laughs> this is everything we've been looking for and what we subscribe to. Because as you know, well, maybe don't know, I think you're a dying breed in athletics and in especially in youth sports where you just don't find this combination of joy, especially in a sport that's so about the grind and your ability to merge joy with that and then find success and prove that it's not mutually exclusive. So what's the origin story of combining joy with the grind? Well, I think this is a, this is a, a sport that really is a difficult sport, right? You know, we always say in the recruiting process or when we're talking to people, you know, and I did, you play soccer, you play basketball, you don't play cross country, you know? So it really is, um, it can be very individual, um, but I've found over the years that when you, I mean, the individual goals are important, but when you take that out of it and the team part becomes much bigger, uh, I think it's much easier to find that joy. And people ask, like, is it fun to win a national title? Yeah. <laughs> uh, yes. But I think we've been able to be so successful because we're having fun before that. That's why we're winning. Yeah. You know, we really don't talk about the results a whole lot. I think people don't believe that sometimes. We, we really focus on the process and finding joy in that process. And we look for people in the recruiting process that have fun working hard. Because it isn't an easy sport. Oh. You know, we okay. don't, um, I know sometimes like some, that article, I've had like colleagues in the coaching profession say, it sounds like all you guys do is have fun and eat cookies. And like, <laughs> clearly that's not true. We, we do have fun and eat cookies, but we, we work really hard. And so I, I think it, I've gotten better over the years at finding people in the recruiting process that like, hmm. this is their joy, you know, being with their best mm -hmm. friends, working really, really hard for something. Um, mm. And that, I think that makes practice so fun. My, one of my main goals is for practice to be the best part of their day. Like that oh, all the wow. athletes on the team can't wait to get to practice, you know, that that's like, yeah. that they're going through class and, and they're like, I can't wait to go see my best friends and do this thing that I love. So uh. we're probably, we take a little too long to get started at practice. They're, we're a little too loud sometimes, but that's just who they are. And they're like really excited to be with each other. So yeah, we work really hard. I mean, we're not shying away from that, but they have a lot of fun doing it. Can you dive into that pre-practice part? Because I would imagine that that might be just as important as the full practice itself. Yeah, you know what? I'm kind of intense. I was intense as an athlete. At the beginning of this, it was hard. Like I wanted to say like, okay, let's go. You know, we need to get serious. We need to get into this. And, and we do, we, like, when we do our drills and our warm up and all those things, we're very serious about it. Um, but I give people a little bit of time and 
you know, to be goofy and hang out and talk about the things they want to talk about before they get started. I think that's important. Again, the grind in our sport is just tough. And so if, why, why do it if you're not really having fun with it? Yeah, exactly. I think that the, a lot of the women on our team come from a very team oriented sport before cross country or track and field. You know, a lot of them played soccer, played basketball, those types of things. And so I want to kind of keep that team aspect in a sport that can be so individual at times. Yeah. What do you, what do you use to find, you said athletes that have joy as part of, of them? Like what, what does that look like? Do you ask them questions? How do you figure that out? Yeah, I think at this level, and particularly in distance running, you can find people who love the process. You know, like people will talk about how many miles do you do a week, how this workout, and you can find people who love just the process. And then you can find people who just love the competition. But like in the, in the recruiting process, we're trying to talk to people about both of those things. And when you can find talented women who love the process and love the competition is when you get people that really make it at the next level. So, yeah, I don't know that there's like a specific thing that we ask or look for, but you can, you know, you, you get a decent amount of time to get to know the, the prospects that now, you know, you can start talking to them early in their junior year. And so you can just kind of get a feeling for people whom that's important to them in the process. And it is an individual sport. So, hey, we're not necessarily for everybody and that's okay. You know, yeah. we, we want people who want the team aspect and are willing to, you know, be part of a team and want to focus on team goals as well as their individual goals. But yeah. we're, we're upfront about that in the process. So I think we have been able to bring in the right people because we don't shy away from that. That's who we are and that's who we want to bring in. Uh, yeah, I love there was a line that said, um, hey, like they never even said to me, you're going to win anything. It wasn't about that. It was like, if this feels right, then yeah, great. If not, go find the place that feels right. <laughs> and I was like, yes. I love yeah, that. We try as not well. to do a sales job in the recruiting process. I feel like if you're really, I mean, obviously there's a part of that in the recruiting process, but um, if you're convincing people to be somewhere, eventually when, you know, when something's not perfect or goes wrong, they're going to feel like they're not in the right place. So we want to just show people what we do and what we have and then find people who really want to be part of that. I want to, I seriously now want to come to a practice or meet and see what's going on behind the scenes because kind of, there's got to be such a feeling to it. We ran at Notre Dame this weekend and the, the evening before there was probably 30 full minutes of three of our athletes juggling and just trying to switch the juggling around in a circle until they kept dropping it. And it was so loud and I felt bad for other people in the hotel lobby because we kind of took the whole thing over. Um, but yeah, like it was, we had a team meeting about the meet and very serious and yeah. go over, you know, like what you need to do. But then it was, you know, one of our freshmen who was trying to get better at juggling with two of our upperclassmen and... Don't ever feel bad about process. being too loud. That's like a common <laughs> denominator in, 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 yeah. in, in my life. So I learned the term pain cave by, it was actually um, through cross-country skiing and Jessie Diggins talking about how she's willing to go into the pain cave. And I would imagine is that's similar in cross-country distance, distance running and track, that there's an element of needing to reach an edge where it is painful, where maybe there is suffering, where I, you know, you watch the national championship meet and there will be runners literally collapsing into someone's arms, or you see it in the Olympics where a runner crosses the finish line and they drop to the track. At what point 
does the pain cave tip over into not productive? Yeah, the best feeling in the world, I think, for a lot of these athletes is to be able to do a workout or a race at that level where you know you've left everything out there. But I think the key, too, for us is you can't do that all the time. And that is where when you get really motivated athletes, uh, they want to get to that point all the time. Mm. But that's detrimental. You know, if you're putting yourself in that pain cave too often, we call it going to the well either way. You know, we only do that maybe three times in workouts during the season and then just Hmm. in the big races because it is hard to recover from if you really are having to get like scraped off the ground, you know, (laughs) Mm -hmm. those are things that can be hard to recover from in a season. So we try to pick very specific workouts where we kind of allow people to get to that pain cave feeling. And then uh, what I say, the thing is that when people are getting really successful, they can do those hard workouts or races without going to that point. And a lot of times our best athletes will say like, that wasn't hard enough. I wasn't dying. You know, I wasn't that. Yeah. And I'm like, that's the point. Like, that's when you know you're getting right. there, when you can do the same thing and not be falling over. So it right. is, yeah, it is, you, you do have to get to that in our sport. But with these really highly motivated athletes, you have to be careful not to get to it too often. Oh, so you almost have to pull them back a little bit. I feel like most of my job the last three years has been holding people back. We've got like... Mm-hmm really, really motivated women in the program right now that love to work hard. And again, it is their joy. Like they love it. It's not, mm. it's not like they're trying to put themselves in a bag. Like they really enjoy yeah. that, but they really enjoy having results on race day too. So I think a lot of them have come to understand <laughs> that um, if you, you know, if you don't do the recovery is recovery is a huge part of their training. Have you guys ever seen the commitment continuum? And no, I, I can't no. remember exactly how it works, but it's like the, the first part is non-compliant and then it goes to like compliant where you just do what you're supposed to, committed and then compelled. Mm. But then we talk to them all the time. If you go past compelled, you get back to non-compliant real quick mm-hmm. because you're so compelled that you're not resting. You're, you're working too hard. You're not, you know, so yeah. like finding that line of compelled, but staying within the yeah, because then you're injured. Non-compliant. Yeah, right. You're injured. You're fatigued. You're all those things that bring you back to ground zero. Yeah, interesting. Exactly. I am curious as well about your thoughts on this thing called the Bod Pod. This was part of the New York Times article. I googled the definition of the Bod Pod. This is from the MayoClinic.com. A bod pod is a computerized egg-shaped device that measures your weight and volume to determine your body density and calculate your percentage of body fat. From what I understand, your program was given the opportunity to use the bod pod, and I wonder if you could share what your experience was like with it. So we were actually asked to use it. It wasn't, you know, they, they, it was, this was years ago, um, maybe... I don't want to say maybe 2014, 2015, and we got it. And everybody was so excited about having this like in our facility and our strength conditioning people particularly were like, oh, let's use it and see. It was, it was a good reason. They wanted to see if the strength and conditioning we were doing was working, you know, to build lean muscle mass and those kind of things. But the, the data wasn't accurate. And I just remember being in this huge meeting with like seven or eight people and they wanted me to keep using it. And I've said that, first of all, the data is not accurate. And second of all, like it, it's just not worth it. There's so many, so many more important things than what that bod pod number gives you that go towards your success in the sport that we don't need to do it. The risk is too high. 
You know, is, is, could there be some benefit to it? Sure. Um, but in a college setting, in a high school setting, I think the risk is, was just too high. And it just mm -hmm. didn't make sense to me to send people over there. I mean, the tipping point was we had an athlete, very high-level athlete, All-American, with, um, she just had really long hair. And when she got in, they, they, they told her that her body fat percentage was 7%, which is just not true, completely false, can't be that low. And then they said, well, put up your hair, because sometimes that makes the machine not work correctly. And she did that and it came back at 10, which still probably wasn't correct. And, and I was like, what, what are we doing? We can't even control the, the accuracy of, what are you, what are you, to me, one of the big things for me is always, what are we using data for if we're collecting it? Like data's cool, but what are we, what are we doing with it? What are we using it for? Like I'm not here, I don't want our athletes to be involved in just collecting kind of like data for someone else that isn't going to help us be successful. You know, so like we do, we blood test all the time. Like iron numbers are hugely important hmm. for our female athletes. So many of our women are iron deficient and, and we have great nutritionists who help them with supplements and those types of things. You know, if we have, we've have a couple with thyroid problems, like we'll test all kinds of things that will be, that will help. But that was just to me, like people want to focus yeah. on that in our sport, like, you know, body composition way more than the things that are like go sleep for nine hours. That's yeah. going to be way more important than anything yeah. you do body composition wise. I mean, I, you know. Well, it, and especially in a sport, to your point, where there's so much focus on that already. And it is such an issue, right? With uh, disordered eating and, and body issues. And so to then heighten it with that seems counterintuitive for sure. Just didn't make any sense to me. I think that we can have really good conversations with good nutritionists about fueling appropriately for what we're doing in sport that doesn't have to be measured on a bod pod or any yeah. other, you know, or DEXA or any of those kind of things. Your, uh, your daughter also ran at NC State. You ran, of course, at NC State. And the really cool thing is that, was it exactly 30 years, right? Yeah, from exactly you winning thing. a national title in the 5,000 meter, she wins the national title in the <laughs> 5,000 meter, which is crazy. Um, and I love that she wanted to race under mom, which says so much uh, in itself. Eventually she did, certainly not early. <laughs> Eventually she did. Oh, really? <laughs> How oh, yeah. long did that take to get to? <laughs> Ooh, early in high school, she was not running in college, period. She had decided not oh, gonna do wow. it. And then as she got better, she kind of decided, okay, I'll run in college, but not for mom. And then not, it wasn't until like going into her senior year that she took a few visits and she's like, ah, maybe this program is all right. Like, you know, yeah. <laughs> and my amazing. husband did, my husband won three ACC cross country titles too. So he, it's funny cause he always gets left out. All of his friends always text him. They're like, they're only talking about mom. What about dad? <laughs> Dad's chopped liver. Did he win a national title, Bob? Come on. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, she and Ellie in this article, a different uh, Runner's World article, was talking about something that um, I found really fascinating as well, because you guys treat mental health as something that needs to be not just when there's an issue, you need to be going to see a sports psychologist. Uh, there's three on staff. She said that, you know, the athletes go weekly and regardless of whether there's an issue or not, it's it's preventative. It's upkeep, just like you would with an injury. You take care of it. And she said um, that, you know, if you have a mental injury or not, you should be taking care of it at all times. And again, I just you don't see that 
in programs. And we've seen, you know, the issues of COVID and mental health in, in, in younger kids and students right now being such an issue at universities. And you all are on it every single week with all your athletes. Where did you come to that conclusion early on? Yeah, and not, not all of our athletes do it, but very a high number and a lot of our high-level athletes do. And I think um, in talking to a lot of coaches, you know, my colleagues around the country too, there, there are a lot of sports psych departments that um, don't share any information with the coach, which obviously anytime they need something to be confidential, it 100% has to be. But we have a situation here where the athlete can choose to share some of the information with the coach and we can work together to figure out like what the motivations are. Motivations are different for different people. And I, I think the other thing too that our department does a really good job of is they focus on the performance piece as well as general mental health. Both are really important, you know? Uh, I think some people, some high-level athletes, as you guys probably seen, are hesitant to do it because they think it either shows weakness or that it's not going to really help them on race day. And so we try to focus on, this is something that can help you in your daily life, anxiety-wise, general mental health, but also really can help you on race day. And that's what gets the high-level athletes in mm -hmm. to try it. And then they, they realize that there's a real benefit to it. Because there's a lot of stress. And I know people, you guys understand it. I know some people that like, there, there are so many things they're required to do. And like our, our distance runners have three seasons a year. We have three ACC championships, three NCAA championships, cross country, yeah, indoor, outdoor. It's just, it's, there's no off season. And so it's stressful and things, you know, it's just not linear and things aren't perfect 100% of the time. You're not going to have this, you know, linear progression. And I think when you have your teammate, that's where the team part is big to me too, because I have teammates that should be hopefully really supportive and have been through it and know how to help our younger athletes, but that we have sports psych, a sports psych department here that really understands that if you can help them in their, in their daily life, it's going to really help what they're doing on the field too. It's not to separate it from the sport. It's to help merge them, you know? Have you found that when an athlete begins to talk to a sports psychologist that they are more willing to come to you if there's an issue? Yeah, and, and to open up to their teammates too. I mean, that's not you know, something that's required but for sure. Uh, but one of the tenets of, we, of our program that we talk about all the time is communication. And it's kind of, yeah, we're, we're trying to build a family atmosphere. So I try to say, you know, th this is the same as it would be in a family. It's not that every conversation is positive and perfect. Like when there are issues to deal with, you've got to communicate. And I think using sports psych has helped that, helped them communicate with each other and with me as well. You know, we had someone speak to us once that said, you know, the most successful organizations have like a, I think it's like five to one positive to not negative interaction, but interaction where you have to work on something. And we talk about that sometimes as well, because if it's one to one, then it's too negative, right? Every, if every other conversation is an issue, that's not good. But if it's like 10 or 12 to one, you're probably not really talking about the issues that you need to talk oh. about as well. And so we, I encourage people to mm -hmm. like, so that they'll train together well in groups. If somebody's doing something that's kind of annoying, tell them. A freshman doesn't know that. You know, we call it uh, two-stepping in, in cross-country track. If somebody's running too hard and like pulling away from the rest of the group and they're a freshman and they don't know it because they've never trained with people, then the upperclassmen have to pull them back and say, hey, 
you can run with the group here. We're all running at a high level. You don't have to work mm. that hard every day. You don't have to be so anxious about every run that you're trying to push the pace or anything like that. Like they'll talk to each other and work it out. But I think that's something just we talk about with communication all the time so that they're not afraid to have those conversations with each other. Like, you know, these people care about you. They're not going to get mad at you. Yeah. Just say what you're really feeling so that you guys can work through it. Oh, to have someone who's listening, yeah. to have a space where someone is actually listening. And empowering the actual athlete to have that conversation instead of it always coming from the coach. It's so much more effective, I think, when it's one of your peers, and especially yeah, an upperclassman. When we, when, when we have our meetings at the beginning of the year, like the coaches run the first couple, and then every year for the last at least 10, the athletes run their own meeting after that. And we don't actually have a captain or two captains. We... The upperclassmen usually run the meeting, um, but I really believe everyone can have a leadership role. So in a team like we have, we I haven't named captains for years. Uh, we kind of encourage each person to use their leadership ability whichever way they want. Like some people want to have a big team meeting and lead the cheer and do those things. But some people, right. even the older athletes, are just better one-on-one, -on -one, like finding mm -hmm. somebody who's struggling and like making sure that they're helping that person. And that's fine, too. So... Like we say what we think our goals should be and those types of things, but the athletes have their own meeting. And a lot of their meeting usually focuses on accountability and stuff like people saying, here's something I need to do better. Hmm. So they, then their, their teammates hear that. And then if they're not doing it, their teammates can say, hey, remember in the meeting when you said you needed help? And it can be like, oh, not staying out too late or going out or something like that. But it can also be not doing the easy runs too hard or mm. making sure I get enough sleep. And then if they happen to not be doing it during the season, the athletes who were in the meeting heard them say they needed help with it. And then they, it's a lot easier to hold them accountable because they say, can say like, hey, you said you needed help with this. I'm trying to help you. Yeah. Right. Oh yeah. my gosh. Hearing that you have an atmosphere where someone can ask for help and express a need. To me, it, it's, it actually is like a, it's a mind blowing what you're doing and you're doing it through sport and it's it's remarkable i love tying it to sport and you know because i think people can see that it's actually making them more successful and sometimes people are afraid to do those things because they think it shows a weakness or something like that and um i, I think the strongest teams are you know ones where people can feel like it's a safe space and say what they want to say and and yeah. and, and get um, help from their teammates if they need it. But also it's when, you know, when things are going really well, it's an awesome space for people to just like celebrate with each other too. It's such a metaphor for life too, because it's all things that you then would want your kid to have in their toolbox, right? Later in life, as they navigate through whatever they're navigating through, you're, you're teaching them that, that it's okay to be vulnerable. It's okay to say you need help. It's okay to talk about and communicate and hold people accountable, all these great things. Why, why do you think we don't see more of this type of program in collegiate sports, in youth sports? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I, I do think it's getting better, at least for, for me. You know, I've just been able to stay in the same place for so long, too, and you just get comfortable and you build this family atmosphere where people know what, um, what you're looking for and what, what has worked. But I, I don't know, and I think... Yeah, I mean, my daughter, Ellie, played soccer first at a fairly high level before she switched over. And um, it was like a lot of the other parents, because of what I do, would be like, hey, do you think she's in the right position? Like, don't you think? 
<laughs> she should but I'm like, I, I don't know. Like, I don't, I don't know that much about soccer. I'm just going to sit here. And, you know, I did the, I, I must admit, I did sometimes do the like lollipop to not yell anything when she was on the field. But <laughs> Oh, it's brilliant. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that was our like league thing at the challenge level. So you're saying we're batshit crazy in soccer. That's fine, Lori. <laughs> no. <laughs> I agree. No, it's not. No. But, you know, you I can think say it, the, it's fine. It's fine. No, no, it was, no, it was so fun. Like, and I had the best friends, like the moms from that team, like so fun. Like we were having so much fun. Um, but I think like that their team was good too. Cause uh, we were having fun. Like we weren't like, let the coach do their job. And um, I, I don't know. I think it's, I never want to be the person that says like kids are different nowadays or this is harder. Right. But I do think I was probably given and my, my brother and like all of our friends a lot more room to fail and have to figure out how to fix things on our own than kids are nowadays. And as a parent, I might be just as guilty of some of that. You know, it's so easy to step in and fix things and want that kid to think everything has to be perfect. And I think maybe that's where the stress is coming from, like this whole, and you know, now there's, I didn't, I couldn't look and see how fast people were running in California on the weekend that I ran. I had to wait until some magazine came out mm -hmm. to find out. These kids know immediately how fast somebody's running across the country that the whole, mm -hmm. our thing, you know, cliche, right? But we'd say comparison is a thief of joy all the time. And in our sport, I think that is very much true. So I think there's this just idea of comparing yourself to other people, what, what, what it looks like other people have, how it looks like other people are approaching things. And that just makes, that just puts a lot of stress on athletes. And so we try really hard to focus on what we need to do. We can't control what any other team's doing. So I just tell them, what does it matter? It doesn't matter how good anybody else is. It doesn't matter how, what training someone else is putting on. They have Strava now. They can look at what other people are doing training wise. Mm -hmm. I don't like it. And you know, I, we just try to focus on what we need to do to get better every week and try to show up in the championship season in the best position we can. But that's yeah. hard to do. I was just driving yesterday and I was thinking, because um, I have a junior in, in high school who wants to play soccer in, in college. And um, I was just thinking, like, when I was being recruited, 500 years ago, there was, you know, there, there was no knowledge of like where people were going to college or we really didn't talk much about like playing in college. And now you get every single day on your phone, this person's committed to Oregon. Oh my gosh, this person's going to UCLA. She just committed to Duke every day. I hear my daughter cause she plays at the top level. Oh, that, that, that center back just committed to Stanford mom or that, you know, and I'm thinking, that stress of like, well, I haven't committed yet. And oh God, do I need to commit? And and so I'm just constantly like, it's okay. We don't need to commit. We're still looking. We don't need to do anything right now. We're going to be fine. But like, we never had that oh. at all. Mm -mm. You it's maybe crazy. wanted to go where one of your teammates or best, you know, if somebody else and was where, where my best that went. level, where they were going. Yeah. But, you know, it's, it is. It's, and, and so when they, for in our sport, it's also, you know, you can look at times. It's not, I always wondered a little bit like how hard it must be to recruit in soccer or something like that. Because you, you know, you have to go watch the person play, I guess, and yeah. like decide what you like, how, where in, in track there's some of that, but hey, there's a time. Yeah. 
there's a ranking. Yeah. It's exact. There's an, you know, there's different race situations. So certainly that's different. But you know, I think for a lot of these kids, if their junior year is not going well, right away they start to think, I'm not going to get to go to school where I want to go. Mm-hmm. I'm not running fast enough as a so- now you have to run fast as a sophomore to get noticed because people are taking visits as a junior. Right. I mean, yeah. we have athletes in our program that weren't good at all their sophomore year yet. Yeah. I and know. are great when they're 21. You know, but the, yeah, yeah, the pressure is if I, they're thinking if I don't do this when I'm 15. Right. Yeah. NC State's not going to notice me. Stanford's not, those types of things. And it's just a lot of pressure. Yeah, I think that that kind of stress is just overwhelming because they think I better take all these AP courses. I better do well. I better yeah. be at this level in my sport or I'm just not going to have the opportunity I want. It's just super stressful. Yeah. How did you navigate that with your own daughter? She did not have that um, worry. She, <laughs> she was, uh, she, she's a very good student, but she was not uh, one of those. Uh, we have lots of women on our team that I have to say like, oh, please just get an A minus. You know, like life will go on. My daughter was not one of those. And again, good student, but like she was like, ah, eh, calc is hard. I'll take the C plus. I'm fine. So at least I didn't have to worry about that part. Um, but then, yeah, as she got through college and got much more serious about running it, it it is it was hard because she feels probably a little bit more stressed because I'm her mom and her coach and those kind of things like oh I want to make sure oh she won a national title I should win a national title this and I think mm-hmm. her junior year that probably was weighing on her a little bit you know like she thought she was at a level to be competitive to win a national title and she didn't quite get there at NCAAs and so then she kind of let go of that her senior year and then she was able to win. So it, it you know, really is letting go of the result so often gets you to the result you want because you're just focusing on the process. But it, it's hard to do, especially in a sport where there's the result is so very yeah. time, you know. <laughs> yeah. It's there's there no, for you to see. Yeah. 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 And so you it's own really it because it's your time. Yeah. <laughs> it's hard. Oh, man. It's, that's hard. I'm swimming, I guess, is, is similar, you know, but yeah. it, that is a that is a hard situation. And so. Um, but I think when people feel it, when they really let go of it and they think like they're just doing everything they can to get better. And then when they step on the line, they feel prepared. It's like a light bulb goes off. You know, they're like, oh, that's mm-hmm. what that was supposed to be like. I just want to give you a big hug, Lori. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a hugger. Not all of our athletes are. <laughs> she'll, she'll take it. <laughs> the one issue with Zoom. <laughs> it is now time for the Lynn game. And Lori, can you please share with us what your noisemaker will be with the Lynn game? Because this is the crucial element of this part of the podcast. Okay, this is my noisemaker. Um, it sits on the desk in our on our director of operations office, and um, our senior associate director says that my office is like a, a deli counter. because a lot of the women come in for one-on-one meetings. And so if someone is in my office and someone else is waiting, then my director of operations does that so that I know someone else is waiting. So it's like a bell you would find at a a deli counter. Deli counter in Cleveland, yes. (laughs) In Cleveland, did you hear that, Jules? Jules, what did you bring today? Um, I brought my... Oh no, it's back. British phone no. booth is back. No, we banned that last season. No, no. Uh, Swaggy has destroyed every squeaky toy that I have in my house. I need to go purchase new ones. Lori, here's the deal with, with this okay. game. It's a trivia game. I'm horrible at trivia, just putting it up. Same. Same Z's. <laughs> there will be five questions, best of five wins, all multiple choice. 
every game has a theme and it always changes. This week's theme is based on how I think North Carolina State has a pretty rad mascot in the the Wolf Pack. The theme of this game is Know Your Mascots. It's going to focus on some of the more unique mascots in college athletics. (laughs) Yeah, gosh. Question one. What is the mascot of the University of Delaware? Oh, Oh, come on! Lori! Lori! Blue Hen. Correct. She didn't even need multiple choice. Uh, Shoot. Shout out. One of our former athletes is is the director of program now, Kenyatta Yeboli. She was our, so she's one of our former athletes that just took the job at Delaware last year. So that's why I know. This feels really, really inherently not fair. (laughs) Question two. What is the proper name of the Ohio State Buckeye? Is it A, Buddy, B, Terry, or C, Brutus? Lori. Brutus. Correct. <laughs> you know I'm from Ohio, though. Just... Wait, wait, let's, wait, let's just go back. Lori saying, I'm terrible at trivia. Let's go back. You gave me Ohio State and Delaware first. Yeah, so that's not, Lynn, I'm... this is rigged. She does this. She, lo- uh, she does this, Lori. Unbiased questions. Question three. I could get smoked without even buzzing in. I'm going to buzz in. What is the mascot of Southern Illinois? Is it A, the Salukis? B, the Greyhounds, or C, the Beagles? Jules. No idea, but I'm going Greyhounds. Incorrect. Lori, your choices are the Salukis or the Beagles? The Salukis. Correct. (laughs) (laughs) Congratulations to adding, beating Julie Foudy in the Lynn game to your... Extensive resume of wins, Lori. I'm going to get a bell. Most pressing questions, Lori. I am consistently someone who runs about 20 minutes, like a 20-minute run. But I'd like to go a farther distance, and I honestly think I have a mental block for doing something like a 40-minute run. Do you have any advice for me to get over that hump? Run with people. Because if you're talking and like that, yeah, like I've heard social, that before. And sometimes you'll lose track of it. Or yep. sometimes get to 20, walk a few minutes, and then run again. And then the next time, maybe you don't have to walk at 20 minutes. You just keep running to okay. 30. But I think running with pe- people will always, uh, like our women that are coming back from an injury or something at times, they'll always say, like, I'm struggling. I can't get through 20 minutes because it's because they're doing it themselves. And then when they f- get folded back in with the team, it's way easier with the social part of it, I think, to get a little, go a little bit farther. Okay, funniest or best moment you shared with Ellie while she was there competing and a student? Okay, the funniest is kind of embarrassing for we both like of that. us. <laughs> uh, we do drug testing, you know, and we had a drug testing situation and our tra- head trainer called me in and said there was one positive and it was your daughter. <laughs> I was so mad. I'm thinking like, what did she do? And then he said, but it was for a low level of opioids. And then they, she actually had eaten that day both a pop, an everything bagel and a poppy seed bagel. And the <laughs> number was so low that they knew it was from the poppy seeds. But before no he could way. finish the story, I had her on the phone like screaming. And she's like, Mom, what do you, like, what do you think I'm doing? So 
Yeah, that was the funniest one. Um, the best one was definitely, well, there are two best ones, her winning the national title, the same stadium 30 years later. Um, but another one was she came with some of her former teammates to the first time we won the NCAA title in 2021. And she and her former teammates were there crying and like so excited about us winning. And I think part of that too was you know, she, she really did help recruit some of the women that were in the program. And she really wanted, she wanted to win a team national title so badly mm. and it didn't happen, but like seeing her be as excited about the younger group that she helped recruit and, you know, was there yeah. with win was really kind of cool too. Yeah. That's awesome. I love that. And high, low cheer. This is the high of your career, the low of your career. And the cheer is to show gratitude for someone who's helped you along the way high of my career. Ooh, probably the second NCAA title in, in cross country. It, it, the first one, I feel like we, we'd won AIAW titles in 79 and 80 at NC State. That was one of the reasons I picked NC State. We've been very good for a long time before I was the coach, but then we won in 21 and it had been years and it's, it really is a lot harder to win the second time and the stress level gets a lot higher. And I think that the, the women we have in the program managed it so well. I was just so proud of them and just people mm -hmm. stepping up in a big way that that was definitely the high. The low, I don't know that there's one moment, but I think, you know, I've got two daughters and, and um, after my second daughter was born and I felt like I was missing a lot. And there were a couple, like probably six months in there where I was thinking like, ah, I gotta get out of this, I, I'm not home enough. and. I'm missing a lot of things and that was really difficult. Um, but then now looking back at like both my kids having so much interaction with the women on these strong, smart women with great high goals, like, you know, maybe I'm just making myself feel better, but I feel like the trade off of some of that yeah. <laughs> um, has been that, that, that they've had that experience. So I think probably that was probably the low of feeling like I, you know, I'm just missing too much and I need to get out. And then gratitude. The cheer, yeah. Who oh. would you cheer? cheer for? I have two. I think um, my my high school coach was uh, the matron of honor in my wedding. She's Ellie's godmother. Um, mm. And she was she was not somebody that came from like a huge running background. She like learned everything she could when she was coaching me because she felt like this responsibility to make sure, you know, that she learned as much as she could and put me in, a be in the best position to try to win national titles, those kinds of things. So her name's Denise Gorski. She was the AD at the high school for years after I graduated, and she just recently retired uh, a few years ago. And then um, Raleigh Geiger was the director of program the whole time. He, he coached me, he coached my husband um, in college as well. And when I was talking about those times where I almost quit because the kids, like he would let me just bring extra people on the trip so they could watch the kids, miss what I needed to miss. You know, I think yeah. that so many talented women get out of coaching at that time period when their kids are small because it, it just is really hard to get through it. And so if you have an administration and other coaches on staff that understand and are willing to help, it'll keep so many more women yeah. um, in the profession. So those would be my two. And we talk about gratitude all the time. So thank you for giving me that opportunity to do that. I, sometimes we talk, I talk about it, but I forget to do it myself. So, yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Like your program and our podcast might be the most synchroni synchronized <laughs> things ever. <laughs> Well, Lori, my friend, thank you so much for doing this and for all you're doing in the sport and the example, most importantly, that you're setting. And I hope uh, there will, and I know there will be many in our dope villages, which is our group of listeners who will listen to this and be like, ah, this moment of clarity. And I hope um, 
other coaches will model what you're doing because it's working. And I congratulate you on all your success and most importantly, the joy you're bringing to these kids' lives. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Jules, have you noticed a trend when it comes to a certain type of guest that we have on Laughter Permitted and my reactions to that type of guest? What their job might be? What their job might be? Yes. Or the trend? Where I have moments where I'm like, whoa. Yeah, they're coaches. They're coaches. Uh Jenny Levy. Emma Hayes, Lori Uh Hennis, incredibly wise, thoughtful women. I soak it all up. And what's amazing is they are leading a new generation of women. Uh, I just, I, I, it makes me think we we throw out all these ideas for series. It makes me think we need a coaching series or like a a coaching, Mm -hmm. a coaching symposium where we get Jenny, Emma, Lori all together and just listen to them so mm-hmm. so grateful to have another episode with with an incredible coach do you have a takeaway i do <laughs> i have two actually okay. my first one is when Lori mentioned that basically what they're doing is making a very indiv- individualized sport mm. a team sport to help build joy. I wrote that down when she said it. Yeah. Because it's so true. It's It must be really hard in a very individualized sport that is all about the grind to um, to do it on your own. It reminded me actually of an, an interview I did with Des Linden, who is mm-hmm. an American long distance runner. She crushes marathons. Uh, she won the Boston in 2018. She competed at the Olympics in, t- in 2012 and 16. Um, and she told me, like, it's a grind, but the the key is you you can't do it alone. You got to mm-hmm. you grind with people you love, and then you mm-hmm. can find the joy in grinding. Um, and they've done that brilliantly. It sounds like at NC State. And the other takeaway was that she had to tell she had to a lot a big part of her coaching was pulling back these women mm. from going too hard, which I found so interesting. Interesting because we constantly are like, oh, you got to work harder. Yeah, you gotta train. Yeah, you, you, you got this. We grind, we grind, we grind. And her whole philosophy was like, no, because mm. then we get injured. And then, you know, we have body issues and, um, and all these bad things start to accumulate when we charge too hard. Mm which I thought was super fascinating that she spends most of her time actually pulling them back and, and, and getting them comfortable with the idea of no, actually you're doing well because it's not hurting as much. Yeah. That means you're fitter. Wow. Mm -hmm. I thought that was so cool. Yeah. She said, otherwise they end up back at noncompliance with that commitment Mm. continuum and get a minus on that. A doesn't have to be, perfect all the time that's something you've <laughs> yeah. talked about with me when it comes to my editing of this podcast hey doesn't mm-hmm. have to be 100 perfect yeah mm-hmm. so yeah. interesting that you brought up teammates because my takeaway was how the members of her Lori's team help one another where they have accountability which then leads to celebration mm-hmm. which just is like so let's say, yeah, we're, I think Lori gave the example of sleep. Hey, I'm not sleeping 
as much as I would like to. I like to be accountable for this. And imagine just celebrating someone getting eight or nine hours of sleep. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's just so awesome. And I have a win to celebrate with you. Nice. I ran 40 minutes this weekend. Yes. I took Lori's advice and I ran 20. I walked a little bit and then I did another 20. And for me, this was something, this first sort of long run I needed. Now it's a long run for me. It was something I needed to do on my own because this was just a mental hurdle. I've thought about joining a running group, but there just was something that intrinsically I needed to get this done for myself first. And as you know, like I've been working really hard the last few months to even get to a place where I physically could do it. So it just was really cool to get that bit of guidance from Lori. And I think that's what put me over the edge to, to go out and actually do it. And then I can circle back to getting in with a group and, and, you know, finding that joy. And I also have to give a shout out to Sue Hammond. I've told you this repeatedly. Mm -hmm. Can you share who Sue Hammond is? Sue was our trainer with the U.S. Women's National Team for many, many years. And she's also our trainer at our Julie Foudy Sports Leadership Academy this past summer where Lynn got to meet her. Yes. And I told Sue how I have been long struggling with a knot in my calf and then the pain runs to my Achilles. And this was exactly what was holding me back from running. And I feel like I've thrown the kitchen sink. I'd thrown the kitchen sink at trying to get it resolved. So Sue, you know, heard me out and then she got down on her hands and knees and I'm thinking, oh, she's going to, you know, like kind of feel my ankle or feel my calf. (laughs) She retied my tennis shoes, my running shoes. (laughs) Sue Hammond taught me how to tie my running shoes. And it, (laughs) that was the beginning of me being able to run 40 minutes this weekend and it's, uh, it's called a runner's loop, uh, if you want to Google it. I do a modified runner's loop. Essentially, it, it, she showed me how to use the top hole on, the, on a running shoe and how it gives considerably more ankle support. So between... Who knew? Yeah. Learning, Who knew? Learning how to tie my shoe, a strength training program from the book Roar, which I mentioned in The Dopies by Dr. Stacy Sims. I also use a muscle scraper that I I will tell anyone about who will listen. I learned about that from an Instagram post by Molly Seidel. Uh, So much of these things contributed to being able to do the run. And I just am grateful for Lori. You know, here I'm really novice, but she took the time to give me a piece of advice that that got me there. Right on. Yeah. Slow. (laughs) So, Julie, when are we going running? Yeah, let's go. (laughs) All right. How about a question? Questions permitted, please. Hi, Lynn and Julie. I wanted to know if there would ever be an episode where you could do a Freaky Friday where Lynn would interview Julie and Julie would interview Lynn. I feel like listeners know a lot about you both, but we don't know enough. We want more. Thank you for the podcast. I love every episode. Sarah. Mm, That's really kind, but here's what I love about this podcast. 
it's about others. It's mm. about celebrating others. It's not about my stupid soccer career that happened 20 years ago, 30 years ago. Like, it, who cares? I, th- th- like, <laughs> it's really nice, but like, no, like we're here to celebrate others. Mm. That's like the whole point. We're highlighting these amazing women. And if we can play a role in highlighting these amazing women, that are doing really cool things in different fields and it inspires a listener to go, oh shit, I can do that. Or I I learned something today because of this amazing woman that uh, was on Laughter Permitted Podcast. So as much as I appreciate that, it's, you know, Lynn, like that's, that's not how I roll. Yeah, Never and I actually, have. I had a nice little back and forth with Sarah over email. Hit us up, laughterpermitted at gmail.com where I said how one of the things that you and I share from a philosophy standpoint is that in interviews, it is all about the guest. It is not about us. It is not about us telling stories. It is about using every moment that we have with the guest to to learn about them and give them the space to share their story. So unless, of course, it is Fruity Judy, she will make a, she will make that. What do you mean? If it's my mom, Fruity Judy has to like, I have to tell those stories. That's the only stories I'll tell. (laughs) (laughs) Well, they're still not totally about you. They're about Fruity Judy. (laughs) So I think what Sarah, if I could sum up what Sarah's point is, is that she might be suggesting that we are also amazing women, the both of us, and that it could be beneficial to the Dope Village to, for instance, share our origin story about how we met uh, our work together. So I'm gonna, I'm not so, I'm not, I'm gonna file this one away that maybe I can pepper in, maybe in questions permitted, some, mm. some little, some mm-hmm. little things that will give our listeners a little bit more insight to the two of us. And I think where I think would be cool to share is kind of our journey with this podcast and a lot of the things we've learned working together, how we balance friendship with, with that. So that's my, that's my, you know, producer Mm. brain at work. That's a nice, it is, it is a nice thought, but (laughs) (laughs) I could have stayed where I was, where I started. Uh, That's a hard no. No, this is, this is normally what happens is that I have one viewpoint, you say no, and then I just slowly refine it to the point where you're like, yeah, okay, I'll do that. (laughs) <laughs> you just keep coming at different angles I, in fact that is something i can share is that so many times i'll start with an idea and julie be like eh. sometimes it's a no but sometimes it's a mm. and i'm like okay all right well let me think about it and then i come back i'm like hey, what about this and it's kind of like okay and then you'll come up with something and be like oh and then this and you're like and then then then, then this and then we get to yes that's it so. Yeah, it takes some massaging sometimes. Well, and I it's I appreciate that you'll share what you think and then it's really that's I actually enjoy the the process of continuing to refine. Truly it's how this all started. Right. It is. I said nah. no. Well, no, it was first. No. Yeah, it was a no. <laughs> then, and then here we are on yeah. season 10. Yeah. Okay, thank you for sharing your time with us to our Dope Village once again. And also a shout out to our sponsors, Ally and Dick Sporting Goods. And of course, to Kate Diaz for our theme music. 
We shall see y'all next week. And we have an extra special episode with the Billy Jean King. The Kinger. She's back on the pod. We can't, we can't wait to share that with you all. So until then, as always, kids, remember, sing it with us. Laughter permitted. We've been able to be so successful because we're having fun before that. That's why we're winning.